preaching out of the, mostly the second book in the Bible, from Exodus, a bit of Numbers perhaps. And just a, a brief run through, a quick intro as to who Moses is. He was born a Hebrew. I think we can safely assume his parents were slaves. I deduce that because all the Hebrews in Egypt at that time were slaves. So his parents were slaves. According to Egyptian law at that time, he should have been left to die at birth. But his mother, and obviously God, had different ideas. So he ended up being brought up in the absolute lap of luxury. He was in the, the palace of Pharaoh. So his, his grand, step-grandfather, we'll call him, was the head honcho of Egypt. So he had everything laid on. He had the best of education. He had the best of everything. But he obviously also had compassion. And at a point, he made a, he made a mistake. It looked like a mistake anyway, in that he, he gave a bloke a clout behind the ear and killed him and had to, had to do a runner into the desert. He was 40 years old when that happened. So he headed off into the desert and through a, a series of events, he married the boss's daughter and got a job as a shepherd, which he spent 40 years looking at sheep. Not sure I'd like that idea, but don't particularly like sheep. But uh, so that is a brief run through of Moses and we will take it from there as to what happens, what happens now. Excuse me while I put my glasses on. So God said to Moses, what's that in your hand? And you'll find an account of this conversation in the second book of the Bible, Exodus starting at chapter 3, continuing into chapter 4. This stick or staff was probably the only companion Moses had on most of his working days. And these sticks come in a variety of shapes and sizes. They could be a staff or a walking stick or even a pogo stick. Whilst God certainly allows us personal things, he certainly is not mean. And a stick is a very personal thing whether a walking stick or a pogo stick. But there are no rooms for passengers on either. Can you imagine a tandem walking stick or a tandem pogo stick? Sure, you young ones know what a pogo stick is. Maybe you've seen one. If you haven't, Google it. And whilst he always has our best interests at heart, he also wants us to have a vision beyond ourselves. And that is the world view of Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. That statement says that, well, sometimes there'll be passengers. So we might have to trade in the unicycle for a tuk-tuk or something similar, at least maybe a tandem push bike. But getting back to God and Moses... God said to Moses, throw the stick on the ground. I don't know if Moses hesitated or not, 
Scripture doesn't say he did or he didn't. And sometimes it can be hard to give up something we lean on or actually have as a crutch, if you like. So to just throw it away can be quite a big upheaval. Remembering Moses was certainly not in his comfort zone at this point in the proceedings. I'd go so far as to say he would have been a bit like a boxer. He was bobbing and weaving. He was just trying to get out of things. Just look at all the the buts this and the buts that that Moses was coming up at. I think it's really good that God has patience. Otherwise, we'd have all been frizzled long ago, I'm sure. So Moses threw the stick on the ground. Whether it was instant or whether there was a pregnant pause, we don't know. But either way, the stick hit the ground. And get what happened. It showed its true colours. It turned into a snake. And we can see from the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve's experience that the snake is not your friend. Ask Jeff, he'll tell you. (laughs) So often the things we lean on or even the things we defend ourselves with are not of God and not what he would have us to rely on. He wants us to trust and rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the work of the cross at Calvary to be our only standards. You see, the devil or Satan never has your best interests at heart. His only desire is to kill, maim and destroy. He'll always find our weaknesses and he will always exploit them. And again, as we look at Adam and Eve, God didn't have have to go looking for them in the garden. He knew exactly where to find them. Excuse me, I've lost lost my way. He knew exactly where to find them. They were standing right in front of that don't touch tree. Tell a child not to go near or not to touch something and where will they be? Yep, standing right there, looking and trying not to touch. And I might add, like Adam and Eve's, usually failing. You know, Adam and Eve had thousands of trees in that garden that they could eat from. But where were they? They were standing right in front of that tree. It had them so fascinated. You know, when my first grandson was a toddler, I think he's about 32 years old now. 32? 31. Not as old as I thought I was. He, he actually thought the TV was called a don't touch. He was told so many times and failed. And then I have my youngest great-grandson could not be convinced not to touch the iron. And I appreciate that uh, in a lot of households these days, an iron is a rather fascinating thing because it's really seen. But he could not be convinced. And not until he burnt his finger did he grudgingly decide it's probably not best to touch it and that Nana really does know what's best and has nothing but his best interests at heart, exactly the same as God with us. As Adam and Eve found out, unfortunately, too late, the cost was huge, and today we're still paying for it. But back to God 
and Moses and the snake. God said, reach out and grab it by the tail. And at this point, I mean, I have a bit of a principle with snakes. If they leave me alone, I leave them alone. I think that snake in your room, Jeff, would have had a very different outcome with me. (laughs) I don't know how Moses felt about them, but for me that would have been a pretty big ask. Did he just reach out and grab it? Did he try and distract the snake in some way? Did he have to work up the courage to do it? There's lots of questions that we don't have the answers to. And do they really matter? I guess not. I do know that there have been some things that God has told me to do that I've really struggled with. I've really fought God. I've put them off. I've said, God, there's got to be another way. Isn't there another way? There never is. But eventually, it might take days, it might take weeks, but I will do it. And then having done it, I look at it and think, well, that wasn't that bad. Why did I put it off for so long? Why did I procrastinate so much? But anyway, whether it was a long time or a short time, Moses grabbed that snake. And lo and behold, what happened? It turned into a staff. No longer a stick, but now a staff. There is a very distinct difference between a stick and a staff. As I said previously, a stick is very personal. Could you imagine two old folk trying to walk down the road with a two-handed walking stick? Because I often think in pictures and I can get quite a laugh out of that one. Or another one, good one to see, would be a tandem pogo stick. That would be a little bit like having a staffy for a seeing eye dog. You can imagine where you might end up. Even as we were coming to church this afternoon, there was a lady walking her staffy, and they walked across the road, and the staffy wanted to go that way. And there was a, a tug in the tug of war like you've never never seen between the two of them. I looked in the mirror and I think the staffy had won. <laughs> but just right now, I'm, I normally use the New American Standard Bible as my reference. But uh, I just want to give you part of this story. But the, uh, I'm going to read it from the UBV. If you're not familiar with that one, it's the unauthorised Bentley version. It's a good one. But as that day, as Moses came home in the afternoon, usually he'd get to the door of their tent, he'd kick off his Egyptian sheep herding sandals. They would probably be equivalent today to wearing a pair of red wings. And Pastor Mal might know what red wings are. If you don't, Google it. But now, today, this day, there was a difference. Where usually he would have leaned his stick up against the wall with his sandals, never again would this stick be out of his reach. This was now his anointing. This was no longer just a stick. This was now a rod of God. This rod carried all the authority of God, all that Moses would need to complete the task God had given him. 
As he walked in, Zipporah greeted him. Hey, Mo, how was your day? They had their little pet names for each other. Zip, Zip, how was my day? How was my day? You're not going to believe what my day was. It started off fairly normal. I had the sheep all settled down and eating reasonably early in the morning. Then I heard the dog barking. I looked up and there's this bush on fire. And Zip, you know, usually these bushes, if, if you light them, they go poof and they're gone. But not this one. It just kept burning and kept burning. I had to go over and have a look at it. It really intrigued me. I walked over and Zip, you're not going to believe this, but that bush started talking to me. And said, it said, take off your sandals. And I just had to obey. You know, the sand was hot, but it just felt right to be barefooted. It asked me what I had in my hand. Stick, I said. Throw it on the ground, it said. I felt like I didn't have much choice, so I did. Zip. And again, you're not going to believe this, but it turned into a snake. It was a big brute too, I can tell you. I thought about bolting, because you know how I feel about snakes. They leave me alone, I leave them alone. It slithered around for a bit, and then he said, pick it up. You've got to be kidding, I said. But then I said, you keep the business end busy and I'll grab it by the tail. Not very confidently, I might add, but I did grab it. And lo and behold, it turned back into a stick. But never again would this just be a stick. Now, as I said before, this was a rod of God. Zip, we had a bit of a chat and he asked me if I'd do a little job for him. He asked me if I would go and get my people, you know, the Hebrews from Egypt, and take them to a place he called the Promised Land. I thought about it and said, well, why not? I had a look at the map and allowing for a bit of negotiating with Pharaoh and allowing for a bit of wet weather. And when I looked at the map, there was this big hunk of water. And I said, well, what are we going to do about that? And he just said, don't you worry about that. So I figure we'll get through that. But to get back to it, Zip, I figure we could probably have the whole job, including travelling, done in about two months tops. And they were famous last words, weren't they? But you know, Zip, what really came out of this today was for 40 years I've listened to your father preach every Saturday. But today I met the living God. Anyway, I figure the sooner we do this, the better. So I've booked us on the express camel train to Cairo in the morning. My brother Aaron will pick us up at the depot and we'll get on with this. No need to take too much with us because, as I say, it won't take too long. But we need to come back. You know, there was another, there was another stick in this story. It belonged to Aaron. And it too had to be thrown on the ground, but in different circumstances. It also turned into a snake, but it had a different task. And it was used to bring Pharaoh to his knees. Although this took many disasters and much heartache to Pharaoh and his people. It's amazing how much grief a hard heart can cause. What comes out here is that both of these sticks were never the same again.
Never again were they just for the personal use of Moses and Aaron. Now they were used for the whole Hebrew race, both to help and to fight the enemy. They weren't to help the enemy, but they were to help the Hebrews. They were still used personally by their owners, but now had a much bigger task in the overall scheme of things. If we look at Moses' rod first, we see it was used for some of the judgments against Egypt, but not all. We see it was used by God to part the waters of the Red Sea that his people might walk through on dry ground. We read that in Exodus 14 and then we read one of the gems you come across at times in the Bible. In Exodus 14 verse 25, after the Egyptian army had driven into the path that God had cleared through the sea, the Bible says he made the wheels fall off their chariots and made them hard to drive. I think that's a bit of an understatement. If you like this, tonight before you go home, pull the wheels off your car in the car park and see how it drives. I really love those understatements when you come across them. Then God said again to Moses, stretch out your staff again over the sea. And the waters came crashing back to totally destroy the Egyptian army. The first time the rod was used to save and bless the Hebrews. The second time was to bring judgment on the enemy. And then we again see the rod of Moses again in Exodus 17. And Malcolm, I think you can be very thankful that you didn't have those Israelites as your congregation. A bigger bunch of whinges I don't think I've ever come across. The story goes that they had come to a place and there was no water. They were thirsty. The congregation were carrying on so badly that Moses and Aaron even feared for their lives. They were carrying on so much. And being good pastors, they took the problem to God and he said to Moses, strike the rock and they will get water. So being obedient, he did as he was told, and they got their water. The next time we see this rod or staff in action is a little bit further on in Exodus 17, where Amalekites want to take them on. The Bible doesn't say so exactly, but I'm sure Moses again would have asked God what to do. And he was given the strategy to beat these guys in battle, which was to hold up the staff, remembering that this is a rod of God, over the battlefield and while ever he held it up the Israelites won but let it down and they would lose throughout the day Aaron and Hur had to help Moses hold up his hands because as you can imagine his arms got pretty tired sometimes we have to have help to win the battle and there's another instance of this rod in Moses hand but I want to I'll talk about that later now let's have a look at Aaron's stick for a bit. We see that it crops up again in Numbers 17 where we come across a dispute over leadership where once again this wonderfully obedient and faithful congregation were carrying on again. And the story is of 12 rods, one representing each tribe of the Israelites, including Aaron's, being placed in the tent of meeting overnight before God. And in the morning, 
there was Aaron's rod with buds on it. And it signified which tribe would be the priests. And that was the tribe of Levi. But there's far more than that in this passage of scripture. We tend to think that this rod just budded. But the Bible says it not only budded, but it also flowered. And it also had ripe almonds on it. So we can assume that Aaron probably cut it from an almond tree, I would think. And all of this overnight. And it wasn't even put in the ground or in the water. Obviously, this stick was so important that it was put into the Ark of the Covenant along with the Ten Commandments on tablets. Quite amazing that they had tablets way back then. Don't know how long the batteries lasted. but And as I thought, it might have helped with the weight. Imagine, because four guys had to carry that Ark of the Covenant. So if it had a couple of big stone bits in it, it would have been a bit heavy. But one explanation for this extraordinary event, and I emphasise one because there are many sermons in one scripture. Who knows how old this stick was? It could have been as old as Aaron himself. Remember that Aaron was over 80 at this time. But suffice to say, it was all dried out. It was a dry old stick. Would have been very much like the promise given to Abraham all those years ago of his descendants being a mighty nation, numbering like the sands on the seashore. To these people escaping bondage and slavery from Egypt, where they had been for 400 years, that promise would have been old and withered. But never never underestimate God and his promises. So this old stick budded as they started out from Egypt and saw deliverance from their oppressors and various enemies along the way. It flowered as they came into the promised land, however belated that might have been. It Also, we can say it flowered as Jesus came to earth and was crucified. And we, as Gentiles, were grafted onto that stick. This budding, flowering and fruiting all began again in 1948 with the birth of modern Israel and will fruit with a new heaven and a new earth. But again, that's, that's another sermon for another time. At this point, I really want to take a quantum leap and to right here and right now. We, every one of us, have a stick that sometimes we hang on to. Sometimes we even care very little about it. But for everybody, at some point in our lives, God is going to say, throw it on the ground. I need to say here that that stick can have many forms. It may be a musical talent. It might be a singing talent. It might be preaching or any number of things. But I can think I can safely, safely say that you know what it is. As I said, at some point, In our Christian lives, God is going to say, throw it on the ground. But there are some dangers. There are some dangers in doing that. 
because you have to realize that once it hits the ground, it doesn't belong to you anymore. And there's a chance that God may not tell you to pick it up again. In which case, we can safely assume that whatever it was, it was not from God. Sometimes it might be that it is not for this time, but in the future. But as we've handed it over to him, we have to trust him. A very important factor in all of this is that when he does say to pick it up, it no longer belongs to us, but it is now a rod of God and he will use it how he wants to. We become simply the instruments through which he works because remember, when it was on the ground, God dealt with the world that was in it. The devil, the snake came out of it And when you picked it up again, it had God's purity and his anointing on it. Now, I'd just like quickly to tell you about the second time that Moses struck that rock, again looking for water. But this time, it was in Numbers 20. Same grumbling, whinging congregation. But you'd have to note that God, he has said to Moses, he said, take your staff That is the authority that I've given you. But he said, speak to the rock and water will flow from it. But Moses, maybe he was, I think he was probably pretty angry with the congregation again at that time. And in a fit of either temper or frustration, he struck the rock with his staff instead. And you might say, well, so what? It still provided water and shut the winges up. Does the means justify the end? In this case, certainly not. But why not, you might say? Well, the first rock in Exodus 17 was a type of Jesus, a symbol, if you like, and God said, strike the rock. Just as Jesus was struck at Calvary in a once-for-all sacrifice as payment for the sins of man, that we might be redeemed and stand before God fully justified. But the second time in Numbers 20, God said, speak to the rock. Because the first time was a once for all punishment. And the sacrifice doesn't have to be made over and over again. At that second time, Jesus was now seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. I'm speaking figuratively. And we need only to speak to him and our case will be brought to the Father on our behalf. And we need to note that Moses' disobedience cost him dearly. God said to both him and Aaron that because of their actions, they would not enter the promised land after all. Their blood, sweat and tears getting this absolutely difficult group of people this far. They were only just within almost seeing distance of the promised land at that time. So I want you to please remember that with that stick that becomes a rod of God also comes awesome responsibilities. And you only have to look today at the casualties along the way and the numbers who have fallen from grace through abuse of that rod in their hands. And 
even though Moses, his punishment was that he would not lead the people into the promised land, God said, I'll take you up that mountain, I'll show you the promised land, but you will not enter it. And God himself killed Moses up on that mountain. They've never found his grave to this day. They never will. But Moses still went to heaven. I know that because you see on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus and the disciples were, Moses came. He was talking to Jesus. So his punishment wasn't eternal. He wasn't kicked out for good. But he didn't see the fullness of what could have been. But I, I just, I could, at this point, I, I could have an altar call, I think. I could ask you to uh, come out, bring your sticks and throw them on the ground. But from personal experience, this is an extremely personal thing. And I think it's best done in your quiet place. That might be on a mountain, might be by the sea, who knows where. But it's such a personal thing that you do it with you and with God. You don't need, a, you don't need an audience. Moses, Moses was in the desert when God dealt with him. I don't say that we have to go to a desert, but... Uh, Go somewhere quiet, but please do it. Please do it. Take that stick and throw it on the ground. If it slithers away, then it wasn't of God in the first place. But thank you. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Can we have the... Music team, back up, please. Are you like me sometimes and you get a bit surprised that God knows better than you? <laughs> Even though uh, the thing you have to go through to find that out is not always the best. <laughs> well, we don't think it is, but, uh, yeah. Hey, thanks, Bruce. Uh, gee, we've had a good day, haven't we? Some good food, spiritual food, but uh, don't be like Nick and walk away from the mirror. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. I don't pay out of my kids. I pay out on other people's kids, okay? <laughs> one, one time. I've talked to mum and dad after. We'll find out. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, but it's true, isn't it? We, we hear the word this morning. We've heard it tonight. Both great messages. And uh, it, it's really good. But let, let's put it into practice. And uh, I think you could nearly combine the two together. And as Bruce says, put, just throw that stick to God and, and see what comes back or whether it does come back. And I, I um, reminded when he was talking about throwing it on the ground, I lived in Cloncurry for a couple of years up in the northwest and I had a couple of mates who were, who were cowboys and they did the rodeo circuits and one of them was a, a, a bull rider. I don't know why you'd want to be a bull rider, but he was. And he, he was pretty good at it. And uh, he'd been a Christian only a couple of years and uh, uh, God said, I want you to give it up. And he was faithful and he was obedient and he did. He gave it up for about 12 months. And then God said, I want you to take it back up again. 
and he did. And I think in that 12 months, he was able to get, a, a, a I guess, closer to God. And, and uh, I know he went on. He, he, I think he was even probably won some more medals or trophies and things. And, and last I heard, he was in the middle of the Northern Territory somewhere running a rodeo school that was uh, heavily Christianised by him and his couple of mates who were running it. So who knows where you're going to end up if uh, you, you hand over what you've got to God because it's uh, sometimes very comfortable to lean on things, isn't it? Yeah? Amen. How about we uh, sing? We're all, I did ask you up, didn't I? Yeah. So let's uh, end with the song and that'll be good. Thanks, thanks again, Bruce. Another way when the walls are closing in When I look at the space between Where I used to be And this reckoning I know I will never be alone Once another in the fire Standing next to me was another in the waters holding back the seas and should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free there is a cross that bears a burden where another died for me there is another in the fire I can feel the ground 
shake beneath us as the prison walls cave in. Nothing stands between us. Nothing stands between us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that your word says that you'll never leave us or forsake us no matter where we are, what we're doing. And I thank you, Lord, that your word also says that your ways are far higher than ours. We can try all we want to work things out, but we know your way is best. My Lord, I know personally, I know others that sometimes that's a bit hard to take. And it can be a bit awkward trying to work out what's going on at times, but we thank you through your Holy Spirit. You continue to guide and lead us. As we've just sung there, there's another in the fire. We know that you're there. Help us to be mindful of that. Father, we thank you for the, the words that we've heard today. And I thank you, Lord, that they would go deep into our spirits. Father, I pray your blessing upon each and every one here and their week ahead in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.